um, that you already know. Change is hard. I don't know, newsflash, big deal. Like, oh, yawn, yep, change is hard, sure. Okay, but we have to deal with it because it's just a part of every, every life. And we know change is hard because we're dealing with it right now. Like, I don't know if anyone's had to, like, change a tire lately. Just think about how hard that is. You know, first, you know, you, you, you got to get out and you got to find the jack, which means pulling out everything that's in the trunk already. You know, so finding the jack. Then you got to figure out, you know, I can't get the lug nuts off. And, you know, it's just, what a hassle that kind of change is. And that's a change that we think is a good one. But even welcome change takes time, effort, and continuous ongoing adjustment. Any um, uh, parents of newborns around here? Yep. Y your life will be changing, of course, for the next 20, 30, 40. Does it ever stop changing, parents? No, we, we've got, I've got parents who are, have adult children who say, hey, it never stops changing. My relationship with my kids never stops changing. So, yes, change is a constant part of life, even the life of faith. And I know that frustrates a lot of people. Because with so much change going out in the world beyond these walls, we might think, you know what? I don't, I want one thing to not change. I want my church to just stay the same. But as understandable as that is, it is not realistic. It's just not. You know why? Because God is always doing new things. I think that's the essence of Christmas even. We've just been celebrating that. That God did a completely unexpected new thing. Disrupted everything. But it's not like God didn't tell us that change was coming. About 500 years earlier, God said through the prophet Isaiah, Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? They didn't perceive it. It took them a very long time to understand what God was up to. That's what happens with change. So because it's such a constant in our lives, I want to spend a little bit of time this morning as we're changing into a new year to talk about the challenge of change, to talk about what it requires and how we can deal with it even better. We're going to look at another time that God did a completely new thing. And in so doing, God blew the doors of the kingdom wide open. It's surprising to everybody. So, get this. Peter, the disciple, now Apostle Peter, was in the port city right on the Mediterranean of Joppa at a friend's home when he went up to the roof to pray and he got hungry. I love that. Like, that he got hungry. Like, how many times that ever happened to us? Like, like you know, I, I, my New Year's resolution, I'm going to pray more. So you sit down to pray and you think, you know what would help me is a sandwich. That would help me focus on God's goodness right now. You know, so, so Peter, he wants to be praying, but frankly, he's distracted. He's hungry along the way. Peter is supposed to be praying, but instead he's thinking about food, and he falls into some kind of waking trance. I'm in Acts chapter 10, verse 11 now. Peter saw the heaven opened, and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it 
were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that's profane or unclean. The voice said to him again a second time, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times. And then the thing was suddenly taken up into heaven. Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of the vision that he had seen. Now, if you're paying attention, you know this is a strange vision. There's even strange language, this clean and profane and, and what's the deal with the reptiles and all. I got to tell you, Peter was puzzled, but it wasn't because of the images or the language. He knew exactly what the message of this vision was. He just didn't like it. He didn't want to believe it because it went against everything he had been taught in Torah school as a kid. In the vision, a hungry Peter sees animals lowered by God from heaven like food on a silver platter. But the animals aren't the kind that Jewish people are allowed to eat. To him, this looks like temptation. God is sending before him forbidden fruit. These are not kosher animals. For over a thousand years, since the time of Moses, no good Jew has eaten any of these animals with a clean conscience. They were off limits. Today, if you have Jewish friends, neighbors, and so on, you might hear them speak of treif food. That's non-kosher food. It's unclean. And then comes the command from God. Eat. Three times, God says, eat this food, Peter. But Peter objects three times. Just by the way, what's with Peter objecting? It's a three times. You know, he's got a pattern here. By now he should know to not, to just stop arguing with God. But after the third time, the dream is over. The vision is over. And like I said, I think Peter knew right away what it meant, but he didn't like it. On the surface, it's a vision about food. One message of the vision is that food that had long been off limits is now kosher, now fit or proper for him to eat, even as a Jewish person. So the good news is uh, bacon, shrimp, and beetles are now on the menu. You'd think Peter would be happy, but he wasn't. He was conflicted. He was struggling with this. He's puzzled. Because Jews defined themselves, identified themselves by what they ate. They could think things like, hey, we are not like those ham sandwich eating Gentiles. But God is saying in this moment, I want you to eat like them. I command you to eat what they eat. You can be like them now. It must have been very hard for Peter. It had to feel in that moment like he was losing something really valuable, a big part of his identity. And it had to be hard in another way too 
Because, like I said, this isn't just about food. It's not even just about identity. It's about relationships. Peter knew that if he could eat the same food that Gentiles ate, then that meant he could share a meal with Gentiles. And to us, that doesn't seem like a big deal. But in that culture, to share a meal with someone was a sign of kinship. It it bonded people. It announced through the meal, we are brothers, at least for today. The idea of a Jewish person sharing pulled pork with a Gentile in the Gentile's home, completely mind-blowing. And I want you to think a little bit, in the course of your lifetime, you might be able to imagine something as unimaginable as what Peter was going through. Meaning, like, you had never thought of going into this place. Um, Like, I I remember when I was a kid hearing about people saying, like, as as a Roman Catholic person, I would never step foot in a Protestant church. You know, we were just taught, you just never do that. That's a little bit like what Peter's going through. Peter had never once in his whole life been in a Gentile's home. This was a matter of faith and obedience to him. And now God is asking him to join Gentiles in a meal. It's also a matter of faith. So no wonder Peter was puzzled. And no wonder that many of us are puzzled today too. We live in a time of enormous change. Things that long ago some of us were taught were wrong are now being blessed. Definitions that we once thought were rock solid, like what it means to be a man or a woman, well, we're being told that it may be more fluid than we imagined. Institutions that, at different times at least, we've respected and trusted, schools, government, and even childhood itself are all being redefined and reimagined. Churches are changing too. I'm sure there's days when it just feels like this is too much. I cannot handle all this change. Because we don't know if all this change is for the better. We don't know if all of it or any of it is from God. And of course, we should think long and hard before we abandon ideas and traditions and values that have been handed down to us through the centuries, especially ones that have come to us through the church. After Peter's vision, and he goes on to visit with Cornelius, and he baptizes Cornelius' whole family. After that, Peter had to go back to Jerusalem to explain to the other disciples what he had just done. He didn't just baptize one Gentile. He baptized a whole bunch of them. And at first, the other disciples were skeptical. 
and rightly so, of such a monumental change. What was once off limits is now included. But Peter explained to them, step by step, very thoroughly and patiently, exactly what happened. He recounted the whole story of the the vision, what he saw in that vision, how three times he said, no, no, no. God insisted, yes, 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 you must do this. How he went to Cornelius' house, found Cornelius devout, a, a man of faith who was praying and giving to the poor, who was hungry for the good news. So Peter recounts all this in detail. And then he includes what may be the most important fact of all, Peter says that after the Gentiles were baptized, after he took this leap of faith and baptized them, the Holy Spirit filled each one of those newly baptized Gentiles. And by God's grace, the disciples who hadn't had that vision were satisfied. That what Peter was doing was something that truly had come from God. This dream is puzzling to us, and when you see it on its surface, it seems like a small change. Okay, great. Finally, you can eat a whole section of foods in the grocery store that used to be off limits. But that small change really amounted to letting in the Roman Empire, letting Gentiles in. And we now are worshiping here together today because of precisely that vision and that change. That's what allows us to call ourselves Christ followers. When we hear a story like this about God including more and more people in his kingdom, we usually think, and because we often preach about you know, what it means to the people who are suddenly included. What that expansion means to to groups who have traditionally felt like outsiders. In Jesus' day, that was especially the Samaritans. Remember, that's, that's who the gospel comes to right after the Jewish people goes to the Samaritans. And now it's going to the Gentiles. And today when we preach about the the need to share our faith, we often say, just imagine the difference it's going to make in that person to hear about God's love for them. And yes, it does make a huge eternal difference when people finally hear and believe that God's grace is for them too. That Jesus died for them too. That is so important. But I want you to get this. The message of Peter's vision is a little bit different. The once forbidden foods, that's those animals in the sheep, the reptiles and the other four-footed creatures like pigs, and you get the idea, okay. Those forbidden foods that are brought down in the sheet are what God gives to Peter to satisfy his hunger. Peter has a craving, a need for this food. And this is what God gives him. Could it be that God has been opening the doors of the kingdom progressively wider and wider? Not simply because the outsiders need to become insiders, not simply to include more people, but because we who are already in the church 
need these people to satisfy our own spiritual hunger. I think Peter needed Cornelius as much as Cornelius needed Peter. Isn't that amazing? We can't avoid change, but we can get better at dealing with it no matter what the change is. So here's a couple ideas. These, these little t steps that, that I think come to us from this passage can help us cope with whatever God is up to. If you don't know if something is from God, some change is from God, and unless we've had that vision ourselves, it's going to be very hard for us to know. If we don't know, then I think what we need to do is look for fruit. Look for the fruit of the Spirit. Remember the last thing Peter says is, after I did all this, I knew I did the right thing because, boom, Holy Spirit came down and he saw the impact of the Holy Spirit in the lives of those Gentiles. So when we're thinking about a change that's happening in society, a change that the church is advocating for, or maybe this congregation itself, when we're thinking about a change, if God is in that change, you will soon see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in abundance. You'll see these fruit of the Spirit growing from that change. If you don't see that, then it probably wasn't from God. I can't explain to everybody's satisfaction how and why the church has changed its positions on various issues over the decades, and it certainly has. But I don't have to explain it, nor do you. We can just point to the fruit of these changes. I asked a simple question. Where would we be today without the gifts of all God's people in the church? Oh my gosh. There's no way we would be better off without the gifts of more people. And if you're exhausted by these changes and the challenges that they bring, challenges to things that we've accepted and, and held sacred and taken for granted. If you're exhausted by that and frustrated, it's okay. Really, it, I'm just going to say, it's okay. Give yourself grace, lots of it. I'm sure Peter had to keep reminding himself that baptizing Gentiles, extending the covenant to Gentiles, was God's idea before it was his. He wasn't responsible for that. God did that through the vision. So give ourselves grace. If we're going to all understand what God is up to, partially this is on God to make it more and more clear. In the meantime, give ourselves grace to understand. And don't passively accept every proposed change. We have to test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Test the ideas that are being proposed against Scripture itself. Ask about the vision. I just imagine if your granddaughter comes home from college and says, Hey, Nana, I had a dream and God spoke to me in it and told me, you know, it's okay to be skeptical, but also listen 
Because we never know when God will speak next or to whom God will speak next. That's part of the message of this story. And if you've already embraced what you think God is up to, for goodness, you know, just give others grace and stay humble. In our story, only Peter had that vision. Nobody else did. So Peter couldn't simply expect that what was suddenly, obviously, God's will would seem like God's will to any of the other disciples. They didn't have that vision. So he had to put himself in their position. I love our congregation. And one of the, the, the amazing things about it is we have over 100 members who are age 80 and up. And if you think about what that means, over 100 of our members have gone through life changes during the course of their lifetime as profound as some of them not having their own phone in a house of any kind to now having phones like strapped to their wrists along the way. I mean, this is mind-blowing levels of change. And there's only so much that people can adapt to. It's not fair to expect everyone to be on the exact same page as we are. Because not everyone has had the same visions. I'm sure that some of the disciples were really skeptical of Peter's experience. But Peter gave them space. He told them exactly what happened, and then he let it go. Again, no one else has experienced God the way you have. So we can't expect them to completely understand what it is that you're going through or what it is that God has told you. We need to give each other time and space and grace too. And again, stay humble. As I said, not every vision is from God. I'm sure the devil sends all kinds of visions from time to time just to mess us up. So we need to listen patiently to others who haven't had the same experience we have, who haven't heard the same message, who haven't studied the Bible in the same way, who haven't had the same conversations, the same life experiences. Faithful friends can help us discern what God is really up to. And finally, in the midst of all this change, much of which is holy and good and some is not, let's also hold on to those things that don't change. Our creeds remind us of the bedrock of our faith. So please stand and join me now in saying the words that Christians have clung to for almost 1,700 years, the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is. Through him all things were made. 
was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and became truly human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come to Amen.